over to Horror Court Trash Over, the show that discusses all of the masterpieces and trash to pieces of genre cinema. I'm Gary. And I'm Chris. And this is our first ever adaptation versus adaptation. Yes. Well, it's the first time we're calling it that. It is. I mean, technically, this is the latest original versus remake episode, but it's got a fancy new name. Yeah. Um, but before we get to which adaptations we are pitting against each other... We have a section that we need to address. Address? Called What's New with Chris and Gary. Yeah, what is new with Chris and Gary? Well, there is a clear best and a clear worst of the week. Okay, yes. Um, For the best of the week, for me, it is a film that... A little insight into our lives we've just finished watching not long ago... Uh, it's Waiting to Exhale. <laughs> Waiting to Exhale. It is a film about queens standing queens, um, men being shit, and Angela Bassett doing the thing. Um, Angela Bassett is amazing in this film. And that's not to say that the other actresses aren't. I think Angela gets maybe the meteor role. The most consistent storyline. The story most line. consistent storyline. And she knocks it out of the park. We all know Angela Bassett's a phenomenal actress. She does the thing. She does the thing, yes, thank you. Um but she's brilliant. She's great yeah. in waiting to exhale. Um I completely agree. It is my favourite new watch of the week. Um I I I really I really enjoyed it. I feel like it's going to become a comfort film for me. Um, I love the camaraderie between the women. Yeah. Uh, the characters. And I hope the actresses as well. They have good chemistry together. For me, it felt a little like Sex in the City. Mm-hmm. But you know how they all have their own little bits with men? And they come mm-hmm. together and discuss it and, you know, they have a few drinkies and go out to the club and, you know, chat over breakfast sort of thing. It felt like that and it felt condensed down into a two hour film. So I, I'd like to have maybe have seen it fleshed out a little. Mm-hmm. It felt like it really jumped quite a lot from scene to scene. But yeah, it it was really just a real comfort viewing film, and I really appreciate those sort of films. Yeah, uh, yeah, yeah, really great. And the worst of the week is, I'd say, it's Drowning Mona. I'm sad to say it's Drowning Mona. Yeah. Um, the have... reason Nev Campbell had to wear a wig in Scream <laughs> Three. Um, speaking of wigs, Jamie Lee Ooh. Curtis's wig in that film is fucking rough. I feel like that was the point. Though. It was. It wasn't a mullet, was it? How it was borderline mullet. It's, it was mulletty. Yeah. It was Jamie Lee Curtis, Nev Campbell, and Bette Midler all in the same film. Yeah. And somehow it's fucking boring because the filmmakers were like, oh, do you know what? We have all these queens here in the cast. Do you know what the audience wants to see? Casey Affleck. Oh, I, I said to Gary, um, and I'll say it to you as well, I'm not afraid. The microphone. <laughs> Um, I said to Gary, what that film needed was a gay on the writing team. Yeah. Just a homosexual that would camp it up. 
John Waters would have made a fantastic mm-hmm. version of Drowning Mona with exactly the same cast. Yeah. Um, I thought Bette Midler was a standout. I thought she was great. Yeah. Didn't get to do enough. Um, but ultimately, yeah, disappointing. Very disappointing. Very. Uh, we've watched some great David Lynch shorts. We have, yeah. So again, I feel like we say this a lot, but not a massive amount of new watches this week. Um, except for these David Lynch yeah. shorts that we've been watching. A few standouts there. Yeah. Coffee with Barbie was a standout. Coffee with Barbie was a strange one and a standout because of that. Um, I think the best one for me and the one I would probably recommend to most people would be the grandmother. Yeah. Um, it's a little lengthier, 30 minutes. So it gets to do a little more. Um, and I thought it was quite touching Yeah, at, at, at places and, it was one of the the reasons that David Lynch got the Elephant Man job mm-hmm. because he's he was able to do the surreal but also do heart touching and heartwarming aspects yeah. of things. No, absolutely, it's my favorite of his shorts. Uh, somewhere in between best and worst uh, is a trash to piece <laughs> now at the cinema. I'm very happy to say, um, a new obsession. And a guaranteed future podcast episode. It is the camp trash the piece, the absolute miraculous piece of cinema that is <laughs> Madame Web. Yes, I I feel like anyone who follows Gary on social media um, has been awaiting his review with bated breath for Madame Web. Because it took us a while. Yeah. We had to reschedule. So the film's been out a while now. Mm-hmm. And everyone's given their opinion on it. And I... Uh, <laughs> I was not shocked, really. But I was shocked at how much I did actually enjoy it. For all the wrong reasons. It's, it's a trash to piece. Like Gary said, it's a camp trashed a piece yeah hilariously funny unintentionally mm-hmm. um i really as somebody who was thriving in 2003 who remembers every single aspect of 2003 i was loving all the references to the fact that film was set in 2003 mm-hmm. yeah <laughs> what's that Leonardo dicaprio meme when he's pointing at the TV yeah. and he's like, mm-hmm. that's too, that's Beyonce, dangerously in love. I remember that. <laughs> I, I Honestly, I, I don't want to say too much because like I said, I really think it has podcast potential. Yeah. But I, it's wild. You need to see it to believe it. I can't believe a film like that is currently playing in cinemas with so many showings a day and is a massive blockbuster. It's it it's hasn't like, made its money back yet, has no, it? No, it's not. No. I don't think it's killing it at the box office. Honestly, it's this year's answer to Catwoman. Um, the Razzies are going to have a field day of it next year. Yeah. Um, I, I mean, rightfully so. Just yeah, go go see Modern Web. Go go see for yourself if you enjoy performances where the lead actor or actress definitely looks like they want to be anywhere but in front of the camera. <laughs> Madam Webb is for you. Yeah, absolutely. Um, 
No, I don't have a segue. I, I thought no. I'd no, no. No. Well From I mean, spiders to cats. I mean we have a character who consistently looks like she'd want to be true. else. That's true. She's giving a little Dakota Johnson energy. <laughs> But yeah, yeah, it should have been Dakota Johnson. And also, the, we're getting a little Madame Web. If you could gaze into the future, you think life would be yeah, a breeze. Yeah. Energy. So there's a little bit of a gateway there. Not gateway, segue. Well, <laughs> with that being or said. gatekeeping, should we say. <laughs> what? <laughs> with that being said, uh, for our first ever adaptation versus adaptation, we are going into the mind of Stephen King with a story that he has said was the scariest story he's ever written. The only one that's ever scared him. Okay. A story that was inspired by actual events experienced by Stephen King that occurred whilst he was living in um, Orrington, Maine with his family. Mm. When he was there, his daughter's cat was killed on the highway. Oh, no. Uh, with, he had a grief-stricken daughter because of this. He also remembered that once his youngest son had nearly run into the road whilst a truck was speeding down it, much like a certain character in the two films we're about to discuss. And the character of a neighbour uh, was based on the elderly neighbour that lived across the road from King. And there's an actual... Pet cemetery <gasps> in the woods behind the King House, oh. which became the basis for the one in the novel and the two films. That's right, we are discussing Pet Cemetery. I have read the novel, so Ooh. we can do a adaptation versus adaptation. Oh my god, that's the requirement. One of us has to have read the novel. Wow, <laughs> we can do adaptation is that versus true? Adaptation. Yeah, of course. Oh. No, I'm lying. No, of course it's true. No, I meant one of us having to have. I just made it up. up. I just made it up on the spot. Okay, I was going to say. It'll it'll force us to read more, won't it? That's very true. Um, Poll results. The original won with 69% of the votes. Excuse me. I know. As it should have. As it should have. Um... Fun story. A spoiler alert is now in effect. Yes. I've only told you the basic premise. To know how these films go. Spoiler warning, go and watch them and then come back yeah. to us. So, um, funny story with these films. Now, I watched the original so much when I was first getting into horror. I thought it was great. I thought it was always really scary. I love the sequel um, with Edward Furlong in it. Um, I, of course, I was a big Ramones fan, so that played a big part in why I love these films as well. Um then the remake, uh, or second adaptation, should we say, was being released. And I said to Chris, let's watch Pet Cemetery." We were a little underwhelmed, weren't we? Was, the original. Yeah, we, was. It was kind of like the acting by one particular person was not great. No. I found that a little jarring. I think I'd watched a lot more films since I'd last watched Pet Sematary. Um And yeah, it was a little underwhelming. Uh, and we actually said... We preferred the 2019 version. Spoiler alert, it might not be the same result today. No, no. And that's not to say that I've completely changed my mind on both films. Mm -hmm. I think it's just been a slight difference. Uh, My memory of the original is... I remember a website that I loved going on. It was at school when we had IT lessons. (laughs) 
and well it was it was sort of like use a website to research your own website so it was for IIT but I remember always going on it and I cannot for the life of me remember what it was but it was dedicated to horror films and there's two things I distinctly remember from it the image of Gage mm. as his possessed yeah. self at the end and an image of Sissy Spacek and Carrie mm-hmm. when she's in front of the fireplace covered in blood. Yeah. And I distinctly remember them. <clears throat> and I didn't watch Pet Cemetery over the years. Obviously, I did watch Carrie. But I, I kind of forgot about that. Mm. And then you mentioned it. And obviously, I'm aware of Stephen King. I'm aware of Pet Cemetery as existing as a film and as a um, a book. Yeah. Um, but I I didn't think it was known as a classic. Yeah, I think it's maybe cool. more of a cult yeah, film. I'd say it's a cult film, um, for sure. Um, but I think it did well at the box office, didn't it? You'll find out shortly, oh, won't we? Um, the novel, my favorite of the Stephen King novels I've read so far. Mm-hmm. I've only read two. And the short story for the boogeyman. Right. Um, What's the other one? It. It. Okay. It, it is. Oh, it, it it's is. It's a strange, strange book. Mm. Um, yeah. One day we'll do a, a, a bumper adaptation versus adaptation. and We'll, we'll figure it out. Um, th- there are some choices made in it. Um, Pet Cemetery less less so. Mm. Um, but it's, it's fucking creepy. It's, it's a creepy novel. Um, Novels better than both of the films. I'll I'll tell you that. Um, well, I'm missing out. Well, we should read it. We should definitely read it. Uh, but yeah, Pet Cemetery, nineteen eighty nine. Here we are. We are still in Women in Horror Month. This is the final episode of our Women in Horror Month, and this first film is directed by Mary Lambert. Oh. You may recognise that name if you listen every week. Every she week. is the well, as in, if you're a regular listener, Uh-oh. you may have heard it. As in, we don't two, talk about Mary Lambert every within week. Within the last two months, <laughs> the that director is true, of yeah. Pet Cemetery Two, Urban Legends, Bloody Mary. You've, we've discussed that one. Castle for Christmas, The Blacklist, The Attic, Strange Frequency, and many more, including Best Christmas Ever. Uh, yes. Uh, I would like to watch the in crowd. Yeah, I'm looking at the poster now, and that maybe that might be a future. It looks like a rip off of Friends. It, well, when I, was it released? Oh, it was definitely a rip off of Friends. <laughs> no, it's more of a Cruel Intentions rip off. Oh, okay. Uh, a mentally disturbed young woman takes a job at a posh country club and falls in with a clique of wealthy college kids, where she's taken under the wing of the clique's twisted leader who harbours some dark secrets too terrifying to tell. Love Saltburn. Yeah. Um, George Romero was originally set to direct this. Why didn't he? I don't know. I mean, that would have been a great choice, but, you know, we support women getting jobs here, and this is actually the best Mary Lambert film we've seen. <laughs> yeah, <it is>. <laughs> <laughs> And George Romero not... would go on to actually... <laughs> Sorry, just you could clip that. Paul Mary Lambert could clip that and yeah. say, "Here's the great. Put it on the poster." Uh-huh. But we've seen best Christmas ever <laughs> and urban legends. Bloody Mary! They're the only other Not two the best we've watched. Representations. Literally, two of the worst films ever yeah. made. This is the first film where we're not going to slag her off on the podcast. <laughs> yeah. 
actually, George Romero did do a Stephen King adaptation. It's actually one of my favorite Stephen King adaptations, The Dark Half. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Good, good for him. Good for him. But this is produced by, um, forgive me, is it Paul Rubenstein? Is it? I think so. Who was a regular collaborator with George Romero. Yeah. Yes. Ter- terrible. Uh, Richard P. Rubenstein. Okay. Or Rubenstein, excuse me. So he was also the producer for Martin, Day of the Dead, Creepshow, yeah. uh, Dawn of the Dead, uh, The Amusement Park. So, yeah, yeah. So I, I, I can see why this was going to be a George Romero film and then he must have said... No, I'm I'm good, and then well, he did Monkey Shines instead. Oh, okay, good choice. Yeah, that's that's not actually that's not a bad choice actually. I, I like that film. Uh, Tom Savini also turned down the opportunity to direct. Okay, it gave me, um, and this isn't a spoiler for later, but it did give me a similar energy to his Night of the Living Dead yeah, remake. Yeah, I thought that. Yeah, just the, because the of the setting uh, felt very similar. Yeah, and the bub. And the Bob, the the um, Wilson Phillips, the Barbara Bob, yes. Uh, Pet Cemetery was director Mary Lambert's second feature film. She was better known for her work directing music videos, especially those for Madonna, including Material Girl and Like a Prayer. Through her work in the music industry, Lambert was friends with the Ramones, who were one of Stephen King's favorite bands. And she approached them about recording a song for the film and they agreed to write and perform Pet Cemetery, ah. included during the closing end credits. And that really gives you that feeling after you watch the film that maybe, maybe makes you think you've watched a better film than you actually watched. Nah. Uh, do you know what I mean? Yeah. You know when you get a song at the end of the film and that song is really like, oh my God, I'm so happy to hear this. It yeah. really elevates the experience for me. It's true. <laughs> it's the same with Pet Cemetery 2 and Poison Heart by Ramones, which is, in my opinion, a better song. And it when the film ends in that place, like, oh my god, what a film! And then you're like, I think it was good, <laughs> but this song is great. Can you think of any other songs that are much better than the films they're featured in? Better than the films they're featured in. Um, I can think of songs that give me the same sort of feeling as they did in this, but they're all for good films. Yeah. Um, I mean. Just one for the future to think of. Madam Web Dreams by the Cranberries. <laughs> yeah, that's true. But I suppose that that was an already established song. Yeah, that's Do true. Do you know what I mean? I'm just thinking one written for... Like, I, I love Killer Clowns from Outer Space. Yeah. But I really, really love the Dickie song. Yeah. Um. So I'm not... Yeah. Yeah. I just, I, I can't think of any more off the top of my head, but it's just a question for everyone out there. Yeah, please send in your answers. Um, yeah, of course, ri- this is written by Stephen King. So he did the screenplay and it's based on his own novel. Of mm-hmm. course, if you're new to horror, Stephen King is the author behind It, Carrie, The Shining, The Shawshank Redemption, Christine, The Green Mile, Stand By Me, and so many more, countless more, including I Know What You Need. Showing at this year's Gasp Horror Film Festival. Listen to the end of the episode to find yeah. out how to come along. Um, when Stephen King first wrote the manuscript for Pet Cemetery, he shelved it and it was and adding to Women in Horror Month. It was only when his wife Tabitha King 
told him to publish it after she found it later and read through it. He then decided to take it to his publisher and history was made. So thanks Tabitha King. I love Tabitha King's name. Yeah. I love the name Tabitha. Tabitha Pops. Tabitha Pops. No, I love the name Tabitha. Yeah? Yeah. Yeah. I'm, I, I might change that my name to that myself. You go, girl. Um, <laughs> and to answer your question earlier... It was made on a budget of $11.5 million mm-hmm. and it made $57.4 million. Oh, well, well done. Well done to Prince Nigel. Um, several seconds of gruesome footage had to be cut to avoid an X rating, including uh, the scene where Gage bites into the neck of Judd. Because one thing I always forget about this film is it's, it isn't consistently gory, but it really has its moments. It's got some great effects. Yeah. It really has. Talk about what happens now. Yeah, should we talk about it? May the Lord bless you and keep you. Has anyone ever buried a person up there? Daddy's gonna do something really bad. Sometimes that is better. If it doesn't work, I'll just put him back. <laughs> Stephen King's Pet Cemetery, rated R. Starts Friday, April 21st at Theatres Everywhere. So we open with credits and numerous pet graves with child voiceover paying their respects to their dead pets. So I feel like, what was the uh, album? Was it Miley Cyrus? Dead pets. Miley Cyrus and her dead pets. <laughs> She, she could have Hanging used a clip cemetery. out of this. <laughs> I never listened to that album. Apparently it wasn't the best. No. Um, so we ominously cut to a rather loud truck roaring down a rural road. We're introduced to the Creed family, who are Lewis, Rachel, their children Ellie and Gage, and their pet cat, Church, short for Winston, Winston Churchill. Winston Churchill, because kids love Winston Churchill. <laughs> So they've moved from Chicago. The thing is, Stephen King probably he loved Winston yeah. Churchill. That was probably... definitely like I can imagine Stephen King's cat when yeah. he was younger being called Winston Churchill. Uh-huh. I'm not just going to use that. Um, so the Creed family move from Chicago to rural Ludlow, Maine, after Lewis accepts a job as a local physician. So Ellie decides to celebrate their arrival with Fergie, like can't we also? <laughs> And if you don't know, YouTube it. <laughs> yeah. So, a bit spoiler alert for later on when mm. we're doing the comparisons. We're not going to compare the two gauges because they are literally like one years old. Yeah. Like, that's a pointless exercise. But that doesn't mean Miko Hughes shouldn't get a shout out for his performance in this film. Like the fact that he is literally a baby, his performance is so fucking good, especially later on. When he becomes possessed. It's strange how he's so good at going from the cute kid. Yeah. And being a very good cute kid actor. Yeah. And then being a really creepy kid yeah. later on. It's like, oh. But I don't I don't think <laughs> I think sometimes in films, <laughs> when kids are trying to be cute, they come across as creepy. Uh-huh. <laughs> or maybe we watch too many wow. Evil kids in horror films. Yeah. Uh, Miko Hughes would go on to also be great in New Nightmare. Yes, yes. And uh, Church, the cat. Cats are obviously difficult to train, so the film crew ended up using nine cats. A jumper, a snarler, and a cuddler. 
and no cats were harmed during filming. Thankfully. Oh what? What did you say? Um, it, there were mixed betweens. Uh, there were mixed between jump jumper cats, snarlers, and cuddlers. Oh, excuse me. I was going. They're all the same breed. <laughs> well, yes, but yeah. I understand what you mean. And Bruce Campbell was the first choice for Lewis Creed, and I'm gutted he didn't oh, get that it. That would have really worked. Yeah. That would have been much better. Uh-huh. Oh, well. That's, that's, yeah. That, I think that's going to be one of those cinema what-if. Yeah. Like Britney Spears in The Hitcher remake. <laughs> like Princess Diana in the role of uh, Rachel in this film. Um. So Ellie also decides to break the tyre swing. And she has a big old whinge about it. So much to her... <laughs> so, so much to her younger brother's... Almost detriment, yeah. her parents focus on her whinging about this tyre swing and he's left unattended and almost goes into the road. Mm-hmm. Um, they meet their neighbour Judd as he prevents Gage from walking into the road as a truck is passing by. Um, so there's a lot of... Um, what's the word I'm looking for? Foreboding. Foreboding. Yeah. Foreboding. And I, and I think it would have worked quite well if I didn't know what was going to happen. I mean, I knew I was well aware of what was going to happen and, and kind of how the plot yeah. was going to go. Um, but it does a lot to forebode uh, the, the moment that, that fucking everyone remembers. gut punch when you don't know what's going to happen. Yeah. I didn't when I mm. first watched it. Oh, my God. That was shocking. So they've met Judd and they befriend him and he takes them to an isolated pet cemetery. Uh, misspelled cemetery with an S. Who reminds us of that? It's Rachel. (laughs) She says, uh, Ellie, one thing with the film is that Ellie asks a (laughs) lot of questions. And Rachel seems completely fed up by all these questions. I don't think she likes her family. (laughs) Uh, She says, it says pet cemetery. It's misspelled, but that's what it says. (laughs) So, uh, <laughs> poor kids taking their pets there. Yeah. She's just showing up with a fancy bob, slagging them off, and there's handwriting. And <laughs> what, I spelling. Like, what I also like about Rachel is that after uh, after Gage almost gets hit by the, the truck, um, she's she's talking to Judd and she says, "Excuse me, I need to get this kid changed." <laughs> like, yeah, he probably did shit himself, nearly getting run over by a truck. <laughs> Rachel finds the whole thing rather morbid with all the pets buried there being killed on the road as well. You can blame her. That evening, Ellie continues to ask a lot of questions. Now it's about church dying. Again, much (laughs) to Rachel's annoyance. Uh, We're also introduced to housekeeper Missy, who who wishes that she had married a doctor who could have looked after her stomach pains. But she didn't marry anyone. She didn't. She's a real ray of sunshine, Missy. (laughs) She rather inappropriately tells Ellie about Church getting his nuts cut off to prevent him from wandering into the road. (laughs) Okay. I I need to speak on this. Yeah. This road. Yeah. For a good portion of the beginning of this film, everyone says how dangerous it is. Mm -hmm. Everyone's, get your cat neutered. Because it prevents him from wandering, mm-hmm. and so he won't go in the road. Gage is almost hit by this road. There's trucks 
going so fast yeah. down this road. It's, you know, foreboding, premonitions, all that business. Why are you not putting up a fucking fence? <laughs> Put up a fucking <laughs> fence. Get a gate there, you dickheads. The road and the trucks are like a looming dread in both the novels, in the novel and the films. And there are ways that it could have been prevented. Absolutely. There were absolutely ways this could have been prevented. Put <laughs> a fucking fence up. What's wrong with you? <laughs> Stupid. Yes. Get your planning permission. Get to the council. Say, we need, we need a fence up and a gate to prevent my kid from getting hit by a fucking truck. Yes, but then we wouldn't have a scary film. With I scary know. <laughs> Sorry for bringing logic into the. <laughs> Situation. Into the film, <laughs> into the film where pets come back from the dead. I do apologise for using <laughs> my brains. Um, so Lois, is it Lewis or Lo- Lewis? I want to say it's Lois. Lewis. It's Lewis. <laughs> Lewis encounters Victor Pascal. He's a jogger who is fatally injured after being hit by a truck. Oh my god, these trucks! He warns Lewis about the pet cemetery before dying calling Lewis by name, though they had never met before. That night, Pascal's ghost leads Lewis... Lewis! Lewis! I keep going Lewis! Lewis Lewis to the cemetery... I think it would just be Camper if it was Lewis. (laughs) (laughs) The ghost leads Lewis to the cemetery and warns him not to cross the barrier. Lewis awakens from the supposed dream to find his feet covered in dirt. And it's giving weird grinder hookup. It's... i tell you what it is given. Yes, it's given that, but it's, i tell you what it is given. You've been led to a the film, pet cemetery I feel that, for a blowy in the dark. A film that Mary Lambert definitely watched prior to this. Cruising. American Werewolf in London. Oh, yeah. It is yeah. so American Werewolf in it London. Is. So Rachel's dad isn't a fan uh, isn't a fan of Lewis and so Lewis decides to stay home during Thanksgiving. Sadly, when the others are gone, Church is hit by a truck and killed. Uh, Judd calls to Lewis to tell him he found the cat dead in the front yard. Now Judd is played by Fred Gwynn, who was most famous for starring as Herman Munster in the Munsters. Yeah. Um, I think he is adequately creepy in this, mm-hmm. actually. And I was surprised that there wasn't a reveal that he was somehow involved. Yeah, because he is creepy in the novel as well. Yeah. Like this character, in all three, you know, versions of this story, this character is so creepy. Which is, I always find it a little jarring. I always forget that's the direction he goes in because... At first, he's like such a just a friendly neighbor, just making him aware of the pet cemetery. But bitch, he fucking killed that cat. He That's, absolutely yeah. killed that cat. Yeah, and so, look, look what I can yeah. do with this cat. Yeah, like there's a malevolent spirit. I feel like I don't know if it's in the novel, but I feel like the idea is that there is this sort of entity that is drawing people. to Yes. And trying to make people do these things, which is why Pascal exists to sort uh-huh. of combat that. And I always thought the, the character of Jurd was the opposite of Pascal. Yeah. Um, that isn't really revealed, um, but I do think maybe it's a, a bit of a red herring. I think so. Because I got that energy. And I think Fred Gwynn, because they weren't 
they were a little um the producers were a little worried that audiences wouldn't take him seriously due to him playing Herman Munster mm-hmm. but i th- i think he does more of an adequate job yeah. actually it's one of he, my favorite performances does. in the film yeah the evil force in place is actually the Wendigo. So this is heavily mentioned in the novel. Oh, okay. Um, a spirit from Native American legend that haunts the land and influences the hearts of men. Oh. And we all know, you don't have to do much to influence the hearts of men. They'll do anything to show off the new gadgets. Yeah. The gadget in this film being the pet cemetery and oh. the excuse being the cat. That's oh, what I okay. think. I reckon he I was like, like, I need to show him yeah. what this place does. What can I do? Oh, let's just kill his cat. I feel like that could have been included in the film, actually. Yeah, so it's kind of mentioned briefly in the remake. Yes, a little more in the remake. Yeah. Or or the 2019 version, adaptation. Um, But yeah, I'm under the impression that Judd probably killed the cat himself, Mm -hmm. rather than the cat going over. So, realising Ellie will be devastated at poor Church's demise... Judd takes Lewis beyond the pet cemetery and deep into the woods to an ancient Micmac burial ground. Judd instructs Lewis to bury the cat and warns him not to tell anyone about what they have done. I quote. (laughs) (laughs) This is your grinder hookup. This is another awkward grinder hookup at night. (laughs) Judd says, when you talk to them, not one word about what we done tonight. <laughs> Lewis says, what did we do tonight, Judd? <laughs> Judd replies, what we did, Lewis, was a secret thing. Women... <laughs> Women are supposed to be the ones who are good at keeping secrets. But any woman who knows anything at all will tell you she's never seen into a man's heart. The... The, <laughs> the soil of a man's heart, Lewis... Estonia, like the soil up there in the old Micmac burial ground. <laughs> Saucy. Okay, I didn't give you a handy round the back of a tree. Yeah, right. <laughs> <laughs> if only played with your Herman Munster. Yes. <laughs> oh my god. <laughs> Herman Munster shoes. <laughs> This is the owner of the Herman Munster Munster shoes. I love it when my great, when my loves come together. (laughs) Whenever he's walking around, it sounds like there's a herd of buffaloes. (laughs) Um, So the next day, a reanimated church returns to the house. He now stinks, moves sluggishly, his eyes glow gold, and he is vicious towards Lewis. Yes. Yeah, deserves it too. Don't go. Uh, Judd explains that as a boy he revived his pet dog, and that although the cat and the... <laughs> so just don't laugh. Awkward grinder. Um, Judd explains that as a boy he revived his pet dog, and that although <laughs> the cat might be different, it will save Ellie the grief of losing her pet. Um, so he, he, yeah, so he revived his dog when he was younger. The dog was a dickhead as well when he came yeah. back. But it might say better to have a dickhead cat than a dead cat. It's true. It's true. And honestly, most cats are dickheads anyway, so. They need the pet psychic, don't they? <laughs> they do need the pet psychic. And if you don't know what we're talking about, we really encourage you to go and watch our <laughs> Channel 5. <laughs> 
So Church's new demeanour sees him scratching Lewis and gifting him a dead rat as he tries to relax in the bath. He came back a bad bitch. Nothing <laughs> wrong with that. He's a bath bomb bitch. Um, also, completely, well, slightly off topic, but I don't know why Lewis's bath looked like he pissed in it <laughs> before the rat was thrown in. Um, Ellie returns and she reveals that she dreamed about Church being hit by a car. Okay, Madam Webb. <laughs> um, Missy hangs herself. <laughs> oh my god! Very flippant. Poor Missy. Oh, she wasn't exactly Little Miss Sunshine, was she? But she's Little Missy Sunshine. So Little Missy Sunshine, she hangs herself and leaves a note revealing she had cancer and couldn't take the pain. Uh, we then have Missy's funeral. And uh, Stephen King plays the priest. <laughs> Stephen King hosted a funeral. Um, yeah, I, I feel like this Missy part is it forced in for a bit of a... I feel like maybe that was a little more fleshed out in the novel. Is this the Wendigo, the sort of malevolent sort of force that's making her ill? Because like I, I don't know. I haven't read the novel, but I mean, it felt like oh, this would be a cool moment to see her kill herself, sort of thing. Yeah, to get a death in there because no one's died yet. So she's there to replace Judd's wife in the film. Oh, okay. Um, in the novel, Judd's wife was basically that character, oh. and I say this because and something Stephen King has actually gone on record saying. Judd's wife is such an insignificant character. She's kind of brought back a little bit in the next film, mm. um, but I completely forgot she was even in the novel. Yeah. I had to just Google it. I'm not uh. lie. But um, yes, Missy is the replacement for that character. Oh, okay. It did feel a little forced. Like yeah. who, and also, I'm, I'm, I'm a little confused, and we'll get to it later, but Rachel appears not to be a working mother. Um, but Missy, no, well, she works. But it's the Missy outfits, seems she to, works. But Missy seems to help out around the place. That yeah. seems to be her job. So I, I wasn't really sure why she was in the film if it was necessary. Well, let's talk about the way that Rachel works. Well, the thing is, Ra- Rachel, <laughs> she dresses like she's at work. <laughs> yeah. So so Rachel wears a lot of sort of very eighties power. Yes. Outfit. Uh-huh. Um, I'm living for it. Melanie Griffith, Working Girl. Melanie Griffith at the end of Working Girl. You know, it. It. I'm living for it. She looks like a member of Wilson Phillips. Yeah. And she looks like she'd rather be anywhere else than having to listen to her family. Yeah. But I don't think she does work. No. So I don't know if she just... I, she seems to be from maybe a privileged background... Mm-hmm. Um, but she doesn't seem to like. I mean, she's wearing these great outfits, but I don't know where she's wearing them too. Yeah. Uh, but you know, if, if I look that great, I'd probably well, yeah. be going around the house wearing, mm-hmm. you know, power suits. Yeah. And shit. Um. So Rachel talks to Lewis about the death of her sister Zelda. So uh, her her sister had spinal meningitis and was left to suffer in the back room of her home. And uh, Lewis says, if I didn't have a reason to hate your mother and father, I have one now. <laughs> because Zelda was 
um, obviously very ill and her family just didn't care. Yeah. Um, she died whilst left under the care, to a certain degree, of Rachel. But Rachel mm-hmm. was very young. Yeah. Um, and it, it is one of the most famous images. It's Zelda. So a very ill woman. Um, the filmmakers decide... Well, I say woman. She's meant to be 16, but she looks a lot older. She's meant to be 13. Oh, 13? I thought 16. I mean, well, that's, I thought it was 16 as well. But Mary Lambert went on record saying that she had to, had to hire a man to play the role because she didn't believe that a 13-year-old girl was scary. Oh, I see. Um... Yeah, it's yeah, it, it's one of the images of the film. I'm not sure how scary it is or kind of sad, really. Yeah. I wasn't sure if it was going for scary or for oh no, I I really feel for this mm-hmm. for this girl. Um it kind of looks maybe a little silly now. Yeah, kind of. I yeah. mean, it's kind of maybe the knowledge that it's a man dressed up. Mm. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. Uh, maybe that sort of knowledge, and I, I think, yeah. Or maybe not. You know, if you still think it's cre- creepy or sad. I don't know. I, I thought it was more sad. It is sad. I it is it sad. sad. Yeah. But you know, each to their own with, the, with yeah. that one. Um, so sometime later, Gage is killed by a truck along the same highway. So the driver was distracted by rocking out to Sheena as a punk rocker <laughs> by the Ramones. Everyone else is distracted by some kite-based shenanigans. Uh, Ellie, <laughs> Ellie isn't too pleased that Gage is allowed to hold the kite when she wants to play with the kite. And she says, it got away from him, that numb shit. <laughs> and everyone thinks it's hilarious and, and that. And then Gage ends up being killed by a truck, which it's... is... Yeah. I didn't know this was going to happen when I first watched mm. it. And it really had a big impact. Like, oh, my God. Because it was always such a thing, especially back then when I first started watching horror films, that the kids never die in films. That's mm. unheard of. Oh, my God. You can't kill a kid in a horror film. Um, so when it happens, like, oh my god, that is grim. And uh, it's kind of, I find in Stephen King films, there's always that moment where there's always this big build up and suspense. And obviously, Carrie, it's the prom scene. In this, it's this scene. And Mary Lambert directs the fuck out of it. Like, it's so suspenseful because you know something bad's going to happen. But the way it keeps cutting between characters, it's like, it really. Because, again, even if you don't know what's going to happen, you think, well, obviously they're not going to kill him. They're mm. not going to kill him. So when it does, like, oh, fuck. That's, yeah. And then, like, the Ramones added to it as well. Because the music, when they're playing with the kite, is like a happy little family scene and it's all this upbeat score. And then you got Sheena as a punk rocker playing. You know, it's, it's not a, it's not a uh, song that's got any dread in it or anything. So it's just, like, expertly crafted. I love it. I, I do think so, and I, I think with time, a lot of scenes like this maybe lose a little of their power, if I'm being honest. Because I, I think 
watching it this time around, I noticed how melodramatic it all was. Oh, yeah. Knowing, you know, the film and knowing where we would end up and time as well, you know, it's the film is over 30 years old. So some of it is going to look a little melodramatic now or, or a little campy. Um, I thought the shoe bouncing on the ground was... I, I, I feel like if I watched it in 1989, I would have mm. found it harrowing. Yeah. But I feel like maybe a little cynicism or, you know, time and knowing the film, it, it for me, it felt just a little... Like, oh, oh, it's a bit over the top. <laughs> you know, a little melodramatic. I mean, it is kind of ruined by the actor who plays Lewis. And Lewis um, is not great. As, as soon as uh, Gage gets hit and he's like, oh, no! Yeah. <laughs> so Rachel's father berates Lewis at the funeral <laughs> and they fight. And within this fight, they knock over poor Gage's. <laughs> they knock over his... Uh, Casket. Rachel's dad's like, you stinking shit, you killer of children. And she's like, Daddy! It is a big camp funeral. It is. Worthy of EastEnders. Yeah, it's giving... Um, no, this is a reference people might not get. Um, but Tori Wilson and Dawn Marie, during Tori Wilson's father's funeral, after Dawn Marie married him... Um, in spectacular, this is WWE by the way. <laughs> but if anyone knows, they know, and it's giving that sort of camp level funeral. <laughs> um, so Judd anticipates that Lewis is considering burying his son in the Micmac ground, although Lewis denies it. Judd believes that introducing Lewis to the ritual ground aroused the malevolent forces present there, which caused Gage's death. Um, so there's a little bit, there's a little mm-hmm. hint to that. Yeah. Um, I I thought it happened before then, but yeah, it makes sense. So Judd spills the tea on a local named Bill Baterman, who buried his young son Timmy in the Micmac ground after he was killed near the end of World War Two. Poor little Timmy returned as a malevolent entity, terrifying the townsfolk. A group of men, including Judd, tried destroying little Timmy by lighting the Baterman house on fire, only for Bill to perish along with his son. So Judd insists that the burial ground is evil and Lewis must not bury his son there, adding that sometimes dead is better. And that's the, that, that's the famous quote. Yeah. Yeah. And it's the one that, that sticks and it's, it's quite ominous, isn't it, actually? It is. I mean, it looked fantastic on the poster, mm-hmm. you know, really... You know, Stephen King is a success for a reason. Yeah. <laughs> you know, with these little bits. So Rachel and Ellie leave for Chicago while Lewis stays behind, ostensibly to take care of some loose ends. Despite both Pascal and Judd's warnings, Lewis exhumes his son's body and buries him at the ritual site. In Chicago, Pascal appears to Ellie in a dream and warns her that Lewis is about to do something terrible. Rachel is unnerved by her daughter's dream, but can only reach Judd when she calls, who tells her Lewis is not home. She decides to return to Maine, much to Judd's alarm. Um, quite, always, I don't know why it makes me laugh so much. 
But Ellie is sort of calling out in her dream and she says, Pascal. And uh, Rachel is outside of the Pascal? <laughs> Bosco? <laughs> Pascal? <laughs> Something that's funnier than that, though, is oh, when oh, Lewis Well, I don't is... think anything's funnier than Pascal. Uh, I don't know. How about a giant face popping up some rocks? <laughs> when Lewis is taking Gage um, to the to the place to bury him and whatnot. Um, oh, this, yeah. <laughs> and this happens in the novel. Some things should be left in the novel. A giant face pops up from some rocks and just because kind of like woo to <laughs> Lewis, and, and that's it. <laughs> it's completely random. It's so stupid. I just <laughs> I don't know why it's there. Just don't do it. Just leave it. It's fine. It's a little jump scare. <laughs> that's all. So Pasco helps Rachel along the way in ghostly fashion. For example, keeping the door to the plane jammed so Rachel doesn't miss it. So it's a nice little friendly ghost helping Rachel yes. on her way to combat the malevolent forces that are trying to stop her. Yeah? So that night, the reanimated Gage returns home and steals a scalpel from his father's bag. He taunts Judd before murdering him. He slices his Achilles tendon then slices his mouth and bites into his neck. And this is quite shocking, really. Yeah, this is the one that still lands. Yeah. Even more than the uh, Gage being run over thing. It is grim. Um, it, And it's another one of those, maybe not the face, but the, the back of your heel. Oh, I hate it. We've all yeah. hit the back of our heel. Uh-huh. Um, or we've all had shoes that are too tight and have rubbed there so we can really yeah. feel that one yeah and the best part is they actually Miko Hughes was cleverly placed in certain scenes so they didn't know what was going on mm. how the fuck did they manage that with him biting <laughs> his throat out <laughs> yeah. um, so Rachel returns home and is lured into Judd's house by the spectre of her dead sister Zelda only to discover that she is actually seeing Gage holding a scalpel. <laughs> Why was Gage dressed like Zelda? Gage is dressed like a drag queen. In a uh, blue dress, a walking stick, <laughs> and a top, and a, a hat. top hat. <laughs> but I don't remember Zelda having a top Hello, hat. Hello, my darling. Hello. Stop it. Then he started tap dancing. So in shock and disbelief, Rachel reaches down to hug Fred Astaire and he kills her. <laughs> it's so calm. I don't know why it really is. <laughs> but this, this is for me. This is where it's giving child's play. Yeah, it, it kind of looks like Chucky now, <laughs> yeah. Chucky doll, like Chucky dressing up before <laughs> killing and being silly. So, waking up from his sleep, Lewis notices Gage's muddy footprints in the house and finds his scalpel missing. Receiving a phone call from Gage that he has played <laughs> with Judd and Mummy, he fills three syringes with morphine and heads to Judge's house. Uh, Lewis also gets a call from his father-in-law telling him that Ellie had a dream that her mother had died. <laughs> yeah, it, it, it's Madam Webb. <laughs> this is Madam Webb over Origin there. Story. Origin story. So encountering Church, he kills the cat with an injection before entering the house. Finding Judd's body under his bed, 
Gage taunts him further, and Lois is startled by Rachel's body hanging from the attic before Gage attacks him. Well, before Gage takes a leap from the attic. And, and dives from the <laughs> attic. A senton bomb from the attic. Um, Lois tells him, speak, goddammit, or I'll throw you in the... F- oh, sorry, wrong film, wrong film. So after a brief battle, Lois... Lois! Lois! Overpowers Gage and injects him with the morphine syringe. He then lights Judd's house on fire, leaving it to burn as he carries Rachel's body to the burial ground. Pascal appears and warns Lois not to make it worse. But Lewis, grief-stricken to the point of insanity, believes that he waited too long when he buried Gage, but burying Rachel will work this time. That night, Rachel returns to Lewis and the couple embrace. Rachel takes a large knife from the counter and the screen cuts to black before Lewis screams. Um, I love the effects on Rachel's face. Yeah. I love her eye is gone mm-hmm. and is like pus dribbling out. Of her eye socket mm-hmm. looks really grim, and them kissing. Yeah, I mean that should have been on all the posters uh-huh. if it wasn't a massive spoiler. Yeah, I thought that looked fantastic. Uh-huh. Um, and that that's that's pet cemetery. It is. It I think is. it has its ups and downs. Um, I I think some of it now feels funnier than it really should have. Yeah, I think it does have some sort of powerful moments like Gage's death that you know maybe haven't aged the best um we'll get to it but Lewis's performance oh my lord not great it's not great not great no. and I and I, I feel I feel like there are parts of it that could have been maybe fleshed out a little mm. more and you know but I don't think it's a bad film I, I enjoyed it yeah no I I really I when I watched it this time, it reminded me of when I used to watch it before, and it's just a fun camp time, despite having some heavy subjects in there. Um, the camp value, some of it I think is intentional, because, I mean, you know, Pascal guiding Rachel through an airport, you know, influencing what people working at the airport desk are saying, and it's it that's camp. And yeah. Mary Lambert Musson knew that was camp. It's always William Castle-like. Yeah. I can imagine a William Castle film having that... As it's sort of maybe central narrative. Yeah. it's But yeah, I, I think it's a good time. And I think there are still some creepy scenes in there. Mm. Um, yeah. And it's a horror, if you're a horror fan, I think it's a staple. I think you should watch it. If you like ladies horror, you're going to love it. If you yeah. like Stephen King, you're going to love it. You know, it, it's... There's some trivia yeah. about that about the film and the ending and, oh, and such. On, the original cut of the film... The delivered to the executives of Paramount uh, was judged to be too long. So excess footage was removed... And they also decided that the closing scene was too tame and at the request it was reshot to be more graphic. Okay. Studios aren't always wrong. No. Because that's one of my favourite images of the film. Yeah. And the novel ends with Lewis burning Judd's house and burying Rachel in the burial ground. Then he sits with his back to the door playing solitaire, listening to Rachel's reanimated corpse walk up behind him to drop a cold hand on his shoulder. Fun fact. I always thought that's how the film ended. Oh. So I, I got those mixed up. But I, I could have sworn that was the ending to the film. Okay. Um, so I don't know if there's like an alternative ending that shot. Yeah, the cold hands. That I maybe watched on the special features. But mm. yeah. Yes. Um, but 
with, uh, you know, when, when you have a classic horror film that people know about, what comes after? The what has kept us going for since 2019? A oh, no, new 2020. adaptation. 2020, you started originally the first remake. Oh, was it? Um, yeah, a new adaptation. Yes. And it's technically a remake of the film as well. It is Pet Cemetery 2019. Um, so how many, 30 years later? Yep, 30 years later. Directed by Kevin Kolsch and Dennis Widmeyer, uh, the directors of... Postcards from the Future, the Chuck Palahniuk story, uh, documentary even. Absence, Starry Eyes, which is meant to be really good. Holidays, and three episodes of Screen the TV series. And I love Screen the TV series. Um, written by Matt Greenberg, who did Reign of Fire, Seventh Son, 1408, Stephen King film. Mm-hmm. Grey Knight, Children of the Corn, Free, Urban Harvest, Prophecy 2, Halloween H2O. Mercy, and episodes of The Invisible Man and Masters of Horror. And also written by Jeff Buller, who did Midnight Meat Train, Night Flyers, I believe also Stephen King, The Prodigy, uh, Insanitarium, The Jacob's Ladder remake, Grudge 2020, that one, Studio 666, and the recently released and recently panned Pet Cemetery Bloodlines, the prequel, starring Pam Greer. So... This one changes things a little. Mm-hmm. Um, it is still based on the same novel by Stephen King, but they change things up. And all the changes from the novel were driven by the desire to find a new angle on a familiar story. So Kevin Kolsch says, uh, said, when you're making an adaptation, you want to do as much new, fresh things that you can because it's already an existing film. But at the same time, you want to make sure that you're staying true to the essence of the book so that people still feel like they're getting Stephen King's Pet Cemetery. So, gone is the specific reference to the Micmac tribe that Stephen King wrote into his novel as Judd's explanation of the place's origins. Widmeyer and Kevin Kolsch chose a more culturally sensitive explanation that indigenous people also encountered the grounds but fled after discovering its power. Which is a nice touch. It's nice to be a little more culturally sensitive. Um... The change in this film, we'll discuss when we get to them. Mm-hmm. Yeah, mixed. I have mixed feelings about it. Yeah. I I think there's a reason for it, mm-hmm. and I agree for the reason for it, but I don't think it works, ultimately. Yeah. I, I don't think... It, I don't think it works, which begs the question, did we really need another adaptation of Pet Cemetery? Yeah. Yeah, I think, I mean, I think as a film, the film itself, I feel like the film could have benefited from a remake, mm. um, but not one that plays it so straight. Mm. So it's budget $21 million and it made $113.1 million at the box office. People were still going out and watching horror remakes in 2019. Yeah, it did well. Yeah. You know, it watching horror remakes in 2019... But do you think 30 years was long enough to... Because it didn't advertise itself as a remake. I think most people assumed it was a remake. Yeah. Because of, obviously, not everyone knows it was a novel. And your general audience that would go out and see this kind of film, who aren't, who just go out and see the latest horror film, would be like, oh, yeah, I've heard of Pet Cemetery, the Stephen King. You think? Yeah. Maybe. I think it's, it's hard I, I do to think it's a, tell. Yeah. Some, I, 
for me personally, I was, you know, I could sit here and I'd be like, oh, you've never heard of Leslie Ann Dow. You know, I was like, oh, how could you? But then no one has, you know. We do like our niche references here on the yeah. podcast. <laughs> do, you, do you know what I mean? I know you, you know, mean, I know so it, uh, maybe we are a little skewed in our opinion on what constitutes popular culture. Yeah, I think everyone, I, I do think everyone's first thought was, oh, here's the remake of Pet Cemetery, not here's the second adaptation of Pet Cemetery. Yeah, probably, yeah. Let's talk about our second feature presentation. It was a myth about that place. Those woods belong to something else. Something that brings things back. But they don't come back the same. So we start with a view from the sky of a house with a fire. As we go to the ground and get closer to the house, we see a trail of blood and a small bloody handprint on the door. That's the ending of the film. Um, after Done. Evicted, Thank you. Thank you for listening. After being evicted from their home, Lewis Creed, an ER doctor from Boston, Massachusetts, moves to the small town of Ludlow, Maine, with his wife, Rachel, their two young children, Ellie and Gage, Ellie's pet cat, Church. Now, animal trainer Melissa Millett uh, revealed that a total of five cats, all rescues, were cast to play Church. Although, ultimately, one of them dropped out after getting scared on set. (laughs) The feline actors were accommodated in five trailers, along with their human trainers. Although, one had to be kept in a separate trailer from the others because it did not get along with his castmates. Millet noted the only good working cat is a happy cat. They were quite spoiled. The film crew even built an area near the trailers nicknamed a catio, where the hard working kitties could play and relax between takes. The cat spent two months in training for the shoot, which took around 10 weeks. Aside from the only cranky cat, the rest reportedly got along well with each other and with the movie's human stars, including Jason Clarke and John Lithgow. The quintet of feline stars all found homes after the shoot was done. Two were adopted by the movie's animal coordinator. Millet found, home, Millet found homes for another two with friends and kept one herself. Aww. And the main, one of the main ones sadly passed away. Rest in peace. Aww. And then mysteriously came back to life. Strange. <laughs> I love the cats in this film. They do such a good job. Um... I think they look a little creepier, yeah. actually, yeah. than the uh, in 1989 version. Yeah. I do love it when animal actors do good jobs. <laughs> yes. Um, exploring the woods, Rachel and Ellie stumble upon a, <laughs> a funeral procession of children oh. with creepy animal masks taking a dead dog to a cemetery called Pet Cemetery, um, which is a very different direction to the discovery of the cemetery in both the novel and the original film. And one of the things that I didn't like. Because, oh my god, yawn, fucking, oh, creepy kids in masks. I hate shit like this, because it was clearly just put there for the trailer. Uh, Shove it in the trailer, the poster, creepy kids, and it has absolutely fuck all to do with the film itself. Who are these kids? It's not Children of the Corn. Yeah, why are these kids never brought back? And this film has a lot of Stephen King references in there, so this probably is a Children of the Corn reference, fair enough. But, 
it just feels so I I hate it. It is one of my biggest bugbears yeah. in modern horror films. Because there are so many good modern horror films out there. Check out our 20 best of the year for the last few years. Um, but there are also so many lazy horror films like this where they're just like, oh, well, what do modern audiences like? Oh, they're like um, kids that are scary. Yeah, we'll just throw this extra in. We'll just do this. There's nothing way with, there was nothing wrong with the way she discovers the cemetery in the original film. Yeah. You know, because I mean, it just it makes no difference. It's just something there that just makes it a little basic. It does. It feels very forced. Yeah, and I think that's... but the one of the masks does come back later. Doesn't it it, it yeah. does. It but does again for for no apparent yeah. reason. Ellie goes to look at the cemetery where she meets her neighbor Judd Crandall, who explains the the local kids would all bring their pets there once they've died. And that's all we needed. That's all we needed. Yeah. Later that night, Rachel and Lewis have a depressing chat with Ellie about death, which leads to Ellie to remind Rachel that her sister was just a kid when she died. So, Mum, wasn't your kid just wasn't your sister just a kid when she died? <laughs> it's kind of like that advertisement, like, hello, you two. Oh, he'd have loved that. <laughs> I feel like, so here in the UK there is an advert <laughs> that follows us around at the cinema, on TV, on YouTube, whatever. I feel like I've seen it a million times and it's this mother and daughter and they go to watch the football match and they're getting the train home and there's been a win and the train... 2-0. The train conductor comes back. Steve. Steve. And uh, the mother says, Steve, 2-0. Hello, you two. And he says, he would have loved that. (laughs) He being their dead father and husband. <laughs> and they're having their such a lovely time. And then he's, he would have loved that. They're both like, oh, <laughs> he's dead, isn't he? But that's exactly what this scene is. Like to remind me of my dead husband. <laughs> but that's exactly what this scene is. Just Ellie just randomly brings it up like yeah. that. Oh, my God. Girl, have a filter. <laughs> and this leads to a flashback so early on in the film. And I remember when we saw this in the cinema... This is moving at an unusual pace. Like, this is going so fast. Like, it rushes it so much. Like, it leads to flashback to Rachel bringing a drink to Zelda, who suffered from spinal meningitis and <laughs> died after falling down a dumb way to shaft. More on that. More on that to come. Let's save it. More on yeah. that to come. But, yeah, it, and then after that... University Hospital, Lewis is shaking after failing to save the life of Victor Pascal, student who was fatally injured after being struck and dragged by a vehicle. He later experiences a vivid dream in which Victor leads him to the deadfall at the back of the cemetery and warns him not to venture beyond. Lewis awakens to find his feet and his sheets caked in mud, suggesting the events are more than just a nightmare. Now, we had... It, it took its time in the original to get us to know these characters. And... A bugbear that I had when we first watched this, even when I enjoyed it more, was that the character development is just non-existent. Mm-hmm. Like, it's like, he's a doctor, she's not a doctor, there we go. That's it. And it's kind of like, as soon as, like, the film starts, we get the, we see the ending straight away. I mean, if that's not fucking rushing things. We see the ending, it's like, great, Pet Sematary, Creepy Kids, Zelda, Pascal, like, immediately within the first 20 minutes it's like oh my god okay slow down mm. don't you're in, it's already an hour and 40 minutes take your time yeah because 
the time where it takes this time is just filled with stupid shit and all these basic jump scares. It's it's true. It's true. It's jamming too much in too early. You know, you've got to do a bit of foreplay, please. Yeah. You know, we need to relax into these things. Mm-hmm. And, and again... Before you know, the grind. <laughs> and again, straight after that, on Halloween, Church is killed by a truck, and Judd, who now has a weird soft spot for Ellie, I'm not going to lie, tells Judd to meet... Tells, um, tells Lewis to meet him later. Yeah, he's, he's very weird with Ellie in this film. What do you think to John Lithgow's casting? I thought it was good casting. Oh, that's good, ca- good casting. He's creepy. Yeah. He's creepy. But I thought he gave actually quite a similar energy to Fred Gwynn. He did, yeah. It's actually it, it's it is perfect casting. It's And again, someone who was maybe more famous for a comedy role on television. Yeah. Yeah. You know, he he was very famously in Third Rock from the Sun. I mean, we know him from quite a few Brian De Palma films. Yes. We know he's capable of being a little Uh off and a little creepy. Yeah. But he was probably, I'm assuming, most famous for Third Rock from the Sun. Yeah. When Lewis tells Rachel about church, it makes her think of... (laughs) (laughs) The dead cat makes her think of her dead sister. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Makes her think of Zelda and she tells him all about how it happened. When she fell down a dumb waiter for an unknown reason of a cheap jump scare. So we get the flashback to the scene and there's weird noises coming from the dumb waiter. Um and she opens it up, the dumb waiter falls down, first jump scare, then it goes down again and Zelda's on top of it. Why the fuck was Zelda <laughs> falling down the fucking dumb waiter shaft? We all make choices, <laughs> but this this was a choice. Again, a choice, that, a change that I did not like. No. It, again, this is just here as a basic jump scare. It's like, you don't need this. It's a film about dead cats and dead kids coming back to life. It's already yeah. creepy, guys. You don't need cheap jump scares. But in 1989, that version, and in the novel, Rachel's being haunted by her guilty conscience. Yeah. She's being haunted by the idea that she didn't do enough for her sister, or, and, should I say, not or, and the fact that she was actually kind of pleased that her sister died. Yeah. For her sister's sake, but also for hers. Mm -hmm. So she's been haunted for many, many years over the guilt surrounding her sister's death. Now, in this version, it's depicted as a complete accident. Yeah. So that... I, I don't get that. <laughs> Why was she hanging out by the dumbwaiter? How was it an accident? So that was for her food, <laughs> but it's not explained how the accident happened. You know? Yeah. Unless I missed something. It's, no, it's so dumb. It, D- dumb in the dumbwaiter. Literally. Um, but yeah, it is not a good change. Judd takes Lewis past the pet cemetery to an ancient burial ground to bury church. And the next day, Lewis is stunned when Church returns home alive, though he is different. Aggressive and violent, tearing a bird apart and eating it alive, whilst cock-blocking Lewis in the bedroom. Church um, says that, these bitches tried to kill me. <laughs> What's that? What's that Miley Cyrus one? <laughs> Probably in a dead pet zero as well. It was as well, wasn't it? What, what was it she said? They tried to kill me. These motherfuckers tried to kill me. (laughs) 
Um, for the the five cats makeup, egg whites and cherry knoll chalk block was used to make their fur look matted. Then leaves, pieces of dried grass and light dirt were stuck on. To create a fake blood effect, they used corn syrup mixed with organic food colouring. The cats did not appear stressed. Rather, they ate food and treats, drank water and even used the litter box whilst getting their makeup applied. I'm, I'm glad they had awesome. such a great time. It's like a little holiday for them. I know. Especially if they're... Um, strays. Off, yeah, I was going to say off the streets. <laughs> strays is the word I was looking for. Same thing. <laughs> Same thing. Jud reveals to Lewis that the burial ground brings things back from the dead and is believed to be inhabited by a spirit known as the Wendigo. He apologises, having thought church would just return the same. After Church attacks Gage, uh, Lewis tries to euthanize him, but relents and decides to set him free in the wild. What I don't get with this whole Judd thing is why does he, in both versions, why does he not explain it beforehand? Why, why does he go to all this effort and not say, oh, you might, you might want to expect your dead cat to be at the door yeah. the next yeah. day. Like, I mean, when you think about it, like, the fact that his dog came back dangerous and he's still encouraged him to yeah, do this. <laughs> but he, but the thing is, he's going to know that the cat's going to make a return. Well, yeah. So why, what is the point of not telling yeah. Lewis? What is the point of not telling yeah. him? You know, just for shits and giggles. <laughs> it's a prank, it's a prank, it's a prank. Um, it's Ellie's birthday party. And Judd is randomly telling someone about a St. Bernard with rabies. <laughs> oh, who could that be? <laughs> uh, I appreciate the Cujo reference, but... They kept talking about D. Wallace <laughs> as well. I appreciate the Cujo reference, but it's a little random, isn't it? Like, just talking to some child at a birthday party. Oh, yeah, you heard this dog's got rabies? <laughs> okay. Thanks, old man neighbour. Okay. <laughs> um... Ellie spots Church on the road and excitedly rushes to him, but is hit and killed by a derailed tanker truck being driven by someone who receives a call from someone called Sheena. Rumour is she's a punk rocker. (laughs) The problem with that is I'm laughing. I'm having, knowing the original film, and we did watch these back to back, but knowing the original adaptation and knowing that Sheena as a punk rocker was playing and distracting the driver in 1989, I couldn't help but laugh. <laughs> so then the suspense had ended for me about, you know, what was going to happen. Yeah. So because I was distracted by laughing at him being called by Sheena. But the fact that it is... Ellie, who was killed mm-hmm. in this version rather than Gage, I it was a gasp. It it was yeah. it was it was a surprise. Yeah, I mean they do a fake out. Mm. You know, Gage is walking out to the road. Yeah, um, but saved by Lewis just before Ellie's killed, and because it's twenty nineteen, all these years later, it has to be way more over the top, and it is a lot more over the top. Um. Yeah, so Stephen King at the time, uh, because for some fucking weird reason, it was revealed in the trailer that this happened. Yeah, yeah, they revealed it in the trailer. Um, 
Stupid. Yeah. Absolutely stupid. You know, like I, I said. That. Oh. Okay. I mean, if you were shocked, then probably not, no. Um, um, do you know why I was shocked this time around? Because you forgot. Because I forgot. Um, <laughs> uh, but it's like, it, it's one of those. It's like, it's the big twist of the film. Because, like I said, people will be watching this film thinking it's a remake of Pet Cemetery, And even if they're familiar with the novel, you mm-hmm. know, they know the story. They know how it goes. Yeah. So the fact that they did this switch, it could have been such a great twist if you just hid it a little. Yeah. You know, it's so stupid that you would reveal it in the trailer. Um, But Stephen King added praise to it. He said, this is a scary movie, be warned. But he never specifically reacted to the alteration um, that the film made to his story. His positive reaction clashes with the unhappy reactions of some of his constant readers. To which Stephen King then said, it's something different. They did a good job. Boy, I saw all the stuff that came online when people realised it was Ellie rather than Gage that got run over in the road. And I'm thinking, man, these people. It's so nuts. I mean, yeah, people do go a bit far about it. But um, it's, yeah, I'm neither here nor there about it. I think if it wasn't revealed in the trailer, I'd say it was a good thing. It's a good twist. Um, But it kind of... It kind of leads to the film being able to use, yet again, a creepy little girl later on. Yes. And I can't help but think that might be the real reason they did the switch up. Because she gets to put a little creepy mask on and she gets to look like every fucking creepy girl in every fucking creepy horror film these days. And it's kind of like... And the fact that it's used in the trailer as well, it's like, you think this is going to get asses in seats. And you know what? You made $113 million at the box office. Yeah. Congratulations. It got asses in seats. I think that the choice is, in my opinion, so that they could have the creepy little girl. Mm-hmm. And they can have the creepy little girl do a lot more dialogue. Yeah. Um, because one aspect of the 1989 version that I was talking about was how it felt like Chucky. Yeah. And I feel like the filmmakers, and I wouldn't be able to do it either, the filmmakers maybe didn't know how to do Gage's death Mm -hmm. and him becoming a killer without it being compared to Chucky Mm -hmm. and therefore coming across as Comical. Yeah. Yet they can do the creepy little girl part because mm-hmm. she's older, so the dialogue feels less jarring. Yeah. And it doesn't, and she's bigger, and so it doesn't look like a doll's being thrown around. Yeah. So that's that's how I saw it. Um. And and I do I I do think the swap is effective, and it might be a spoiler for one of the awards later. But I was shocked. Yeah. I was shocked because I completely forgot. Because <laughs> uh-huh. it's ultimately a, a rather forgettable film. And it had been, what, best part of five years since we saw it at the yeah. cinema. And we didn't see a trailer beforehand. So I did, I did genuinely forget that uh, the, the, the other child died in this yeah. version. Yeah. And, you know, you like what you like uh, when it comes to horror. But for me, I'm just so tired of the little creepy little girl thing. Yeah. Now. It's like, oh, if you're going to... I'm trying to think of films that have done it 
good. I mean, The Conjuring 2 is probably the last one. Orphan? Orphan, yeah. Yeah. I, mean, I haven't seen Orphan, but... Yeah, I suppose. But, yeah, I mean, we all know. There's one creepy little girl film that'll never be topped, and that is The Exorcist. And I think it all stems from back then. Yeah, I think... I mean, I mean kid, inherently, kids are quite creepy. I mean, you had... Oh, what what was the one before The Exorcist? Um, was it the bad, the bad seed? seed yeah. The bad seed. I mean that that had many copies after yeah. that. I, I think it's something that comes around mm. the fear of a new generation, fear of youth culture, and I think that all comes around every yeah. so often. So I think it's a trope we're gonna see for as long mm. as cinema continues. Yeah. Really. It's just going to take different forms. Yeah. But a family is devastated and Rachel and Gage leave to spend a few days with Rachel's parents. Sadly, there's no big camp funeral. Sensing that Lewis is planning on resurrecting Ellie, Judd warns the grieving father that sometimes dead is better. Though Victor's spirit similarly warns him, uh, Lewis's grief spurs him to carry out his plan. So he drugs Judd exhumes Ellie's corpse and reburies her in the animal graveyard as the Wendigo looks on. Now, I like this. I, I think Lewis taking this more sinister side uh-huh. that you kind of expect from Judd, I think it's good. I think um, Jason Clark does a good job in the role. It's, um, yeah, it's kind of like, okay, this is a deadly weapon you've got here now, this graveyard. Mm-hmm. You know, there's no stopping you with what you're going to do with this. And it leads to a fairly effective ending as well. Yeah. Um. So I I do like this. This is one of the things that I think you know, is on the creepier side of things with mm-hmm. the film that it does right. So, yeah. Yeah. Um. Because I don't think, as a character, Lewis is meant to be the heroic good guy. No. I I feel like in nineteen eighty nine he's meant he he's a. He's the good old doctor. Yeah. You know, he's a nice chap. Everyone likes him. Everyone would love to have a drink with him, a beer. But I feel like in the 2019 version, he's got a little more of an edge to him. He feels a li- something's a little off. Yeah. About him. And it, it sort of makes more sense that despite the way Church has acted, he doesn't really care about taking mm-hmm. Ellie to, to and bury her. Like the grief has made him yeah. you know, go go even more off off the scale. Mm-hmm. Ellie rises from the dead but manifests uh, a new personality and uh messy hairdo. Um she starts doing dead girl ballet around the house while smashing things. Um <laughs> Because if there's one thing that modern audiences love more than creepy little girls, it's creepy little girls dancing. Um, but this is a little camp, actually. It's nice to see a bit of camp in this film. Um, meanwhile, Rachel is frightened by visions of her dead sister, Zelda. <laughs> Again. Um, and Gage is also frightened by the ghost of Victor, who tries to warn him about going home. Uh, weird... Having this still in there with Gage. Yeah. With Gage being a baby. Because, I mean, when he's just shouting out Pascal, she's like, well, we're just saying anything, really. Pascal. Yeah. But Rachel does put... In, in 1989, Rachel does put, you know, two and two together. Yeah. She remembers who Pascal was. Mm-hmm. I mean, it doesn't really matter because she can't see him. But, 
<laughs> yeah. yeah, in this version, it doesn't quite make any sense. No. Because Gage isn't Madame Webbing yet. No, and Pascal's just pretty much a non-entity as well mm. in this one. That's true. It's, you know, it's a nasty effect when he is run over. Um, and this film sticks with practical effects for the most part. I've got to mm. give it that. Um, but again, that character was so camp in the original. And that's the one thing I thought was intentionally camp in the original. In this one, it's just, again, just creepy that guy. Yeah. Yeah, true. Judd wakes up and spots Ellie in the house. He flees home in horror to retrieve his revolver. But Judd, distracted by a growling church, allows Ellie to surprise him on the stairwell, slicing through his Achilles tendon with a scalpel and taunting him with the voice and face of his dead wife before viciously stabbing him to death. I, we say it a lot, but we've it's true. With these remakes or newer versions or adaptations, it does feel like more, more, more. Yeah. Like, we have to have extra. There has to be something else. Either extra backstory or extra gore or extra this, that and the other. So, of course, we're going to see Judd's dead wife. Yeah. Like, I, d- I don't get why we have to see mm-hmm. her, but of course we're going to see her. Yeah. <laughs> of course. And there's even that little thing where he's walking around his bedroom and it shows you his Achilles tendon. Yeah. Like it's about to be sliced and then it doesn't happen until a little later on. Um, That's so a wink to yeah, it. Yeah, it, it relies on you what, having watched the original. Yeah, yeah, to a certain degree. For things, for, for that, things like that, and for the fake out um, when Ellie gets killed. Yeah, when you know when Gage is going towards the rogues. Anyone who's watched the original is going to be like, oh, well, we know what's going to happen here. Um, because really, with with just going back slightly, yeah. with that fake out, and. I don't know. I suppose any kid dying in a film is a kid dying in a film. But yeah. You're like, oh, don't kill the baby. Uh-huh. I was like, oh, good. Killed the slightly older one. Yeah. <laughs> if you're not familiar uh-huh. with what that's trying to do, you're yeah. like, oh, no, not the baby. <laughs> like, oh, Ellie was a little annoying, actually. So <laughs> that's fine. <laughs> um, Rachel and Gage return home and encounter the undead Ellie. Rachel is horrified and flees with Gage to an upstairs bedroom. Ellie, enraged at being rejected by her mother, attacks Rachel as Lewis finds Judd's blood-soaked body. And she says to her mum, Stop struggling, you useless cow! Which is, it's true. She has been rather bland and rather useless (laughs) for a lot of this film. Um, Rushing home, Lewis manages to save Gage just as Ellie fatally stabs Rachel. He locks Gage in the car and Rachel begs her husband not to bury her in the pet cemetery. But she starts singing. <laughs> she don't want to be buried in a pet cemetery. She, she does. Ellie knocks Lewis unconscious and drags her mother to the burial ground. And at the pet cemetery, Ellie tries to kill Lewis. But as he prepares to decapitate his daughter, he is impaled from behind by a makeshift grave marker, falling and revealing a reanimated Rachel. <gasps> Ellie and Rachel silently drag Lewis away and he is subsequently buried. Rachel, Ellie, Church and a resurrected Lewis set fire to Judd's house from the start of the film before approaching the car. 
Lewis peers into the car at Gage before a beeping sound of the car door unlocking is heard before Starcrawler's Pet Cemetery cover plays over the end credits. And a bit more trivia before we talk about that. Stephen King proposed an alternative ending where Gage is walking up the middle of the road uh, whilst Dawn is approaching and a truck is heard coming along. And uh, you think, oh my God, this is it. He's going to get killed. This is how it's going to end. But then at the last minute, a woman pulls him out of the road and rescues him and says, where's your mummy and daddy? And that's how you end the thing. But they didn't go with it. Mm. They shot a few endings, a few, and apparently they're all dark. They all wanted it to be a miserable ending. This is the one, the one they kept is the one that got the best test reactions, test screenings. I like that ending. It's grim. Yeah. It's really creepy, that image of them walking over to him. And it's a ballsy way to end the film. I think it is as a zombie family. Yeah, it's probably my favorite. Probably my favorite change out of all the changes. Yeah, I because I it's kind of like you think the kid has survived, but then you they're absolutely gonna kill. Yeah, and become a zombie family together. Yeah, yeah. it's I, I couldn't believe they went with that, and it was I I like a lot of people don't. I I think it's a good ending. I think it's fine. I I think it maybe makes a little more sense mm-hmm. than the original. Um, to a certain degree, yeah, I, I think it's fine. Yeah, yeah, um, yeah. The film itself is just aggressively average. Um, again, when we first watched it, I preferred it to the nineteen eighty nine version, but this time not so much. It just, it's just a modern supernatural creepy horror film. Yeah. That has Pet Cemetery slapped onto it. That takes the plot points from Pet Cemetery, but delves more into what you'd expect from a modern creepy supernatural horror film. Yeah. Which kind of just makes it a bit basic. I don't feel like the 1989 version is the most groundbreaking horror film that's ever no. existed. But I feel like this version is more paint by numbers. Yeah. I, it feels like so much of it I've seen before. It doesn't feel fresh. It doesn't feel new. The changes they made, yes, feel slightly fresher mm. in terms of a direct comparison to the 1989 version. But compared to the numerous horror films that we've had over the years, mm-hmm. it doesn't feel fresh at all. No. it. I, I feel like so many of the tropes of modern horror is included and sometimes I, I wonder why I feel like the characters are very bland and we'll get into this uh, on an individual basis but mm. I watching it now I'm just like oh okay yeah you know and realizing that I had pretty much forgotten the whole film yeah over the last few years I think it's just a, a clear example of why it was so dull. I feel yeah. it's so dull. And even when you look in Stephen King adaptations and you think about the fact that it came out two years before this. Yeah. And the scale of how good that was, mm. you know, is not even close. Yeah. Um, but yes, let's do some comparisons, starting with cinematography, scares, kills, and soundtrack. So 1989, I think cinematography's good. Uh, I think the practical effects are fantastic. And I think it has some genuinely creepy moments. Then nasty kills, even if some of them aren't entirely shown on screen, there's some really nasty kills in there. 
Yeah, absolutely. I think it looks great. Um, and, and, yeah, there are there are creepy moments, uh, creepy visuals. I love the kills. I think Judd's kill in the nineteen eighty nine yeah. version is pretty iconic. Mm -hmm. Really, I think it's great. Uh, and it has the Ramones on the soundtrack. Exactly, it's a win yeah. for me. Um, yeah, and even I, 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 I really like the score as well. But yeah, the use of Ramones is just it, it really adds another layer to it. Yeah, I, I love shit like that. I love horror films from the eighties that have a hard rock soundtrack or a punk soundtrack. I love it. I love that it has a theme song, and maybe it's. Not too in keeping with the idea of us comparing soundtracks because it's at the end of the film. Mm -hmm. But Pet Cemetery is a fantastic film written directly, a fantastic song written directly yeah. for the film, and that gets two thumbs up from me. Twenty nineteen, the cinematography. <laughs> at too many points. I turn around and said, I can't see shit. It's so dark. So like, dark. I at mean, points. our local Odeon has this weird thing where they. There, there has to be something wrong with the projector. It's, it's always very so, old, so dark. We lived uh, in a different place when this was out, and we could see what was going on when we were at the cinema. Yeah. But having watched it at home now, like if we watched it at our local cinema now, we would it'd be just be pitch black. Yeah. You wouldn't see a thing. You could barely it's see. Stupid, and it's that whole that. mentality of oh horror films they have to be in the dark. You know, the most effective scene in this story takes place in the daytime. Yeah. You should be learning something from that. At the end of the day, I'm watching a film where a cat and a child are brought back to life yeah. by being buried in a pet cemetery. Yeah. I don't need realism. Switch on a goddamn fucking floodlight or something. <laughs> I don't... I need to see yeah. the fucking film. I hate it, hate it, yeah. hate it. It's a big fat failure for that, the cinematography. I detest when I can't see shit in a horror film. Unless it's something like Blair Witch fucking Project, which is the whole point of the fucking yeah. film, is that things are difficult to see at night. Uh -huh. I, no, d turn on the light. Yep. You know, I, I want to see what's happening. You've spent a good amount of money paying these actors, getting these set designs, all this, that and the other. You know, show me it. Yep. I want to see it. No, absolutely. Um, the scares... Uh, some are alright. Yeah, a little, maybe a little reliant on the very loud truck. Yeah. Um, potentially, but the original kind of does that as well. Mm. Um, the jump scare of the dumb waiter thing, <laughs> I it, it that annoys me. Yeah, that annoys me. The jump me. scares are so lazy. It's I'm not a so, huge fan of jump so scares. Lazy. It feels a, a one really effective jump scare in a film. Can be top tier. You yeah. Know, like really iconic moments mm -hmm. in cinema history. They really can. But the rest of the film has to have that tension building yeah. and all that business. You have to be in a certain place when they happen. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And they're so effective. When there's such a reliance on them. Yeah. And, and this isn't new. You know, I'm not the first person to say this. But when there's such a reliance on jump scares, it feels cheap yeah. and it feels a little tacky as mm. well. And I'm not a huge fan of it, yeah. you know? Well, I mean, something that's a good comparison is recently The Black Phone, uh, Creepy Kids, mm -hmm. and a few jump scares. Mm -hmm. But 
a well-developed story with characters you care about surrounding it. So when these things do happen, and the creepy kids, you know, they're not meant to be antagonists. Mm. But there's one standout jump scare in that film that I won't say in case you haven't seen it. This isn't a Black Phone episode. Um, that I still think about. when Whenever I think of that film, it's the first thing I think about because of how well executed it was. It wasn't shown in the trailer. Mm. It wasn't... There was no build-up to it whatsoever. Completely out of nowhere. But then you get films like this where you know when the jump scare is going to happen yeah. because it has a fucking build-up. Yeah. It's like, you know... In Madame Web, every time when there was a joke and there was like a minute of silence for the audience to laugh. It's it's so weird. Like when films just base things on on your audience like that. You meant to surprise them. Yeah, and that that's and that's what, the jump scare. That's the whole idea. When I'm waiting for the scare, when I know it's about to happen, or I'm anticipating yeah. it to happen, because you're leading me so obviously to that point. It takes me out the moment. I'm not taking notice of what's happening on screen. I'm waiting for that jump scare moment. I'm anticipating that. I'm holding on to my bag of Maltesers so I don't drop them <laughs> because I know it's happening. Yeah. And that's not, you know, I would never say I'm not one who gets, you know, scared by jump scares. Mm. But afterwards, I'm like, oh, okay. Yeah. You know, yeah, you got me, girl. But mm-hmm. it, it's <laughs> at what cost? Yeah. Because now I'm not invested in this film. Yeah. Um, but that being said, it does have some... <laughs> and great... that is our TED Talk on jump yeah. scares. <laughs> but that being said, it does have some great practical effects in there. It does. It um, does. I appreciate the use of practical effects instead of CGI. Uh-huh. Always a win in my books. Yeah. Uh, the score is fucking boring. Um, but... Does have a great cover of Pet Cemetery by Starcrawler during the end credits. It does, but I I feel like in this case you can't beat the original Ramones version. No, but I would listen to both. Listen to yeah. them back to back. Everything everything goes to the original. It's... That's that. Yeah, yeah. I have to agree. And uh, on to characters, we have Lewis Creed played by Dale Midkiff in nineteen eighty nine, and Jason Clark in twenty nineteen. Okay. For anyone waiting for us to say something nice about twenty nineteen, this is your moment. Dale Midkiff's performance is fucking bizarre in the original. Goodness gracious. Who signed off on that? It is not good at all. I don't know what he's going for, uh, but it's lifeless. There's nothing there. It's absolutely lifeless. Um, It it takes me out of whatever the character is meant to be. It, It makes no sense. I don't know who signed off on it, who thought that was okay. Yeah. Um and and I don't I really don't think we're the only ones. Wasn't no. there wasn't there a list of like re- bad performances in good films and he's like on there. He should be. Yeah. Whereas Jason Clark, he does a good job in twenty nineteen. You know, he's a seasoned actor. He knows what he's doing. Uh huh. Um, Dale Midkiff might be as well. I don't know. But uh, excuse me, Dale Midkiff. Yeah. You mean the. Uh... Winner of the Cami Award in in two thousand and three, two thousand and five, and two thousand and eight, uh, Cami Award, the Character and Morality in Entertainment Awards. <laughs> wow! <laughs> and he, yeah, he won. He sh- he had to share it. It's kind of like the uh, best cast award, <laughs> but he won that three times. 
Well, I know an award is not winning. Um, the, literally, the character and morality in entertainment awards. <laughs> but Jason Only Clark. in America. Yeah. I'm sorry. Only in America. Yeah. <laughs> character and morality awards. <laughs> Love it. Um, Love it. I'm going for all those films. But yeah, Jason Clark. It's a good performance. Uh, character development isn't great, but it's a good performance. And he has his creepy moments. Uh, which adds a little more to the character, even if it's not developed very well. There's a little more going on, I I found, in both performance and character. So, yeah. Yeah, there you go. <laughs> well, in 2019, you got something. <laughs> well, you might get something else, but yeah, you got something for now. Uh, Rachel Creed, played by Denise Crosby in 1989, and Amy Simons in 2019. 1989, she is sick everyone's shit she has ha- she has a great haircut and she's always serving a lot she does i love it she looks great i'll say it again that wilson phillips haircut i live yeah. for it i love that i wish it'd make a comeback um i love how she just she did see and, and i'm assuming it's a character dress rather than an acting dress <laughs> or like <laughs> the actress didn't want to be there <laughs> but i i love it uh, in 2019, the character of Rachel is an absolute nothing. Yeah. A non-entity. There is nothing to her. Mm-hmm. Um, I think it's a real shame, really, for the actress, because she was given fuck all. Yeah. I, like, genuinely, I could not tell you anything about her apart from her sister falling yeah. down. No, she's boring. The she, dumb waiter. Yeah, there's nothing there. Really boring. Yeah. Completely forgotten about. Yeah. Not not even an entity, really, no. in the film. Yeah, let's go to the original. Next up we have Ellie Creed, played by Blaze Bardell and Bo Bardell Oliver in 1989. Yes, two actresses did play Ellie. Two twins. And in 2019, played by Jeté Lawrence. Now, I mean, the performances are fine for both. But the one in 1989, oh God, all she does is ask questions. Yeah, I th- I think maybe because I I think the actresses, all three of the actresses, they do, they do a good job, mm-hmm. and I I don't really want to critique too much children's acting. Yeah, but the characters themselves are well actually kind of annoying in nineteen eighty. Yeah. <laughs> so many questions, <laughs> but I mean kids are like that actually. To be fair, um, obviously she's just kind of forgotten about partway through the film. It's true. Because she doesn't return. Uh, whereas, obviously, in 2019, there's a little more there for the actress to sink her teeth into, quite literally. <laughs> uh, yeah. Um, so I, I I, would maybe give it to 2019 just because, character-wise... Yeah, she just had more to do. There was more to yeah. do. So, yeah, if we're doing a direct comparison... Yeah. Um, she still had the annoying inane questions. She did. But yeah, she was a creepy killer kid by the end. She so was. There's a little more for her. <laughs> um, we have Judd Crandall in 1989, played by Fred Gwynn, and John Lithgow in 2019. Um, this is a case where they both did a great job. I would say in both films, this is the best performance. Yeah. Um, I think John Lithgow and Fred Gwynn both did great yeah in the role i think they gave quite a similar performance 
to a certain degree. Yeah. But I think it's a difficult one, actually, because I found the character quite interesting in both films. Mm-hmm. Maybe could have done with a little more on both of them. Yeah. Really, actually. And apparently we've got a prequel that isn't very good. <laughs> about the character, but I, I found the character very interesting. Yeah. I would have liked to have seen a little more of him, but I think both actors did a fantastic job. They did. Uh, for me, I think Fred Gwynn just edges it slightly. I would give it to, yeah, 1989, because of Fred Gwynn, but also, I think he got a better death scene. He did. Actually. He did. So. But yeah, it's, it's a very close one, but 1989 did it for me. And uh, finally, Church. Uh, the five cats said the nine cats how many it were in nineteen eighty nine or the five cats in twenty nineteen. I I have to say it's cute in nineteen eighty nine, but it's church is creepy in twenty nineteen. That's very true. Um, but I I refuse refuse to uh make cats compete against you can, you each have other. A tie. You have a tie. We can have a tie with that one. Speaking I of all the cats, yeah. Speaking of a tie, there is a picture of the main cat that plays Church in twenty nineteen at the premiere wearing a tie. Yeah, so go and look for that. Oh, um, and on to our final awards: biggest queen. I give it to Rachel in the original. I give it to Rachel in the original. Absolutely. Biggest gasp. I've got the scalpel to Judd's Achilles tendon in the original. Yeah, um, I went with Ellie's death in twenty nineteen because. It literally, yeah, shocked me. <laughs> Wiped only your memory be- as well. Only because I forgot. <laughs> Best dialogue I have, you stinking shit, you killer of children, at the funeral in the original. Um, I went with the obvious choice, sometimes dead yes. is better. I mean, technically that is the best line of dialogue. Yeah, so I went with that. So I don't know who gets that, Stephen King? Stephen or... King gets it. Yeah, <laughs> I suppose that's a tie, technically. Um, That's camp. I have a... Uh, I have a... Double, oh, double elimination. I have a, a tie. I have uh, Gage's funeral. Damn, double homicide. <laughs> Gage's funeral ball in the original. Funeral brawl. Okay. In the and of course, under Gage's top hat and dress combination in the original as well. I went with Gage's Chucky. I feel like that dive from the attic <laughs> was quite campy. And an award only I can give out. Most faithful adaptation. Ooh. It's going to the original. And with that being said, the original is the winner. It, yes. As it as it should be. Yes. Um, our ratings for both. So I give 1989 eight cunty business outfits just for day-to-day fashion out of 10. And I give 2019 five dead kid switcharounds out of 10. I give 1989 seven... Pax cows out of 10 and 2019 I give five useless cows out of 10. (laughs) (laughs) I very nearly went with that myself. I'm I'm making myself laugh. That was good. Pax cows, the useless cows. Yeah. (laughs) You should see my face when I realised I could do that. I'm like, yes. Um, if you would like to watch both films, they uh, the original is on DVD, Blu-ray, 4K, Video On Demand, Sky and Paramount Plus. And 2019 is on DVD, Blu-ray, 4K and Video On Demand. If you enjoyed the original, I recommend checking out Pet Cemetery 2 because I remember watching it many years ago and I really enjoyed it. So that's past me as problem if it's not actually good. And if you enjoyed the remake, I was it's up in the air for me. There's a few that I could do, but 
during the episode, I made my mind up, uh, check out the black phone. Uh, yes. Oh, okay. Oh, good. Because um, <laughs> if you enjoyed uh, 1989 or the final section of 1989, you'd really enjoy Child's Play. Yeah. Uh, and if you enjoyed 2019, then you'd really enjoy Hereditary. Yeah. Yeah. Better supernatural films. With... The child uh, death. Yeah. Yeah. It's got a similar energy to yeah. it, I feel. And, uh, yeah. That's so, if, whichever one you prefer, let us know on social media. We're Horror Court Trash Over on Facebook, Instagram, and TikTok, and Horror Court Trash on Twitter. I'm dead at Gaz92 on Letterboxd, Gazmo205 on Instagram, and GazCruise92 on Twitter. I'm Chris Barker823 on Letterboxd and Instagram. And uh, tickets go on sale for Gasp Horror Film Festival this Friday. Yes, get your tickets if you are able to visit Manchester yeah. in June. Yeah, so go and check out Gasp Horror Fest across all social media to find out what it's all about. We will be hosting the UK premiere of I Know What You Did, Stephen King's I Know What You Did. And uh, yeah, give us a rate, review, and subscribe on iTunes, like a follow on everything else. It's time for a change. And next week we're bringing you that change. Next month, Original versus Remake is Wrong Turn. (gasps) And the reason it's Wrong Turn is because they're two very different films, so I hear. Okay. Um, But the rest of the month, that's kind of a contrast for what we do for the rest of the month. The rest of the month, we're doing Mix and March. This is my silly little concept. And it's basically the, if you enjoy this, check out section at the end of the episode mm. for full episodes. So films with certain similarities, doing a little comparisons and just discussing two great films during one episode. Yes. Starting on Tuesday next week with The Terminator and The Guest in an episode that we like to call Unstoppable Honky Killer Machines. <laughs> Many few of those. You can figure out the similarities. Yes. Uh, so we'll be back, same time, so if that didn't put you off, we'll be back, same time, same place, <laughs> next week. Bye. Bye.